This could be heaven or this could be hell. Welcome to the Hotel California. You can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. Can you imagine what it must be like to be a nursery school teacher? And I'm guessing some of you may actually be one, you poor things. There must be days, maybe approaching a full moon, when everything goes haywire. When you have herds of children running wild, like animals escaping a jungle fire. It's like a microcosm of society. When village life first started out 10,000 years ago, people had figured out that being together and being in one place long enough to raise a crop was a good model of security. We wanted water, food, shelter and security. Villages, for the most part, gave us this. But lots of food meant lots more people. In biology, we see how colonies grow and collapse based on the food sources. So too with humans. What happens when we get too many humans, not enough food? Well, you have two choices. One is to move to a place or to take somebody else's food. In one stroke, we have the Vikings. Happy for a long while, the vast grasslands of Sweden, deep Denmark and Northern Europe, supporting them well. Then they hit the tipping point, where demand was suddenly outstripping supply. It's a short step to marauding over the seas to the UK, Ireland and Northern France. Some nations chose to peacefully trade with each other. Others, well, they just preferred wholesale slaughter. Village life is no different these days to 10,000 years ago. People still tread very carefully, a very careful line, in order not to damage the status quo or the ecosystem of life. Clearly, with expansion and phenomenal success comes a question of order. Who's going to keep things in line? Well, usually the biggest bloke. Order was pretty simple. If you cross the unwritten line, the biggest bloke will call you out and ask you to explain your actions. This results in a rebalancing of society or you being bludgeoned to death. Slowly, with the growth of trading comes commerce and cities. The biggest bloke can't know everybody in the city. He needs friends to help him, so armies and guards proliferate. Soon we have laws, written laws. It's simple. If you steal a sheep, I bludgeon you to death. But surely there must be a way of controlling minds as well as bodies. Enter religion. Some thinkers must always have been asking, why? Why? You have a chief, you have a father. It's an easy question. Who rules over them? It's an easy conclusion to see a father in the sky who helps you, sends you rain, sends you a herd of buffaloes, helps you to find a river when you're thirsty and sends you safe to shore in a storm. The father gets angry too. Lightning strikes, famine stalks the land, wind and rain washes away the town. Why? Why? We then get the idea of laws of man and laws of nature. Behave yourself well, I won't bludgeon you, and neither will God. One problem being, if I kill you, I can only kill you once. That's not very satisfying. How can I threaten you and punish you a bit more? So where does everybody go when they die? It's a double threat. I'll wipe you out in this life, 
but you'll also suffer forever more in the next life. Now we're really talking about fear. Finally, I've got your attention. A bludgeoning in this life and continuous bludgeoning in the next one with an angry father judging you. The Egyptian Book of the Dead dates back 3,300 years or more. and You can guarantee that the ideas expressed therein were not new. In China and India, we have texts going back to cave paintings 5,000 years or more. If we weren't writing it down, we were certainly thinking it. In the Book of the Dead, they were assessing life on a scale to see if your rights outweighed your wrongs and if you then made it to the land of the dead. We find the idea of a place where the dead go seeping through all religions, a land of the dead often underneath the earth. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's a bad place, however. In the simple ideas of black versus white, earth versus heaven, yin versus yang, life versus death, are all just part of the same whole, just the opposites of each other. Many belief systems have the concept of a land of the dead, where the dead cycle through before returning through reincarnation. It's only when we start to see the formalisation of Christianity and Muslimism that the ideas of punishment start to really come to the fore. In Northern European mythology, there was a goddess called Hel, H-E-L, who was essentially the overseer of the land of the dead. Paganism and Christianity merged through Roman conquests and through Christian missions, and at some stage, Hel became H-E-L-L. In what was the patriarchal modus operandi of the Christians, Everybody needed to be controlled for their own good. And mostly all of them had no idea what that good was. But by God would they suffer whilst learning it. So about the 700s we start to hear about hell. Now they really had control of your body and your soul too. What a dispiriting idea. You might drag yourself all the way through this life at the end of a whip, only to discover that all of eternity was going to be like that for you. Like a lurking insurance salesman, here was the priest offering, usually for money, a way out of that bind. Thank you, God, you've seen fit to set up your own company here on earth with branches that are even open on a Sunday. So this might be heaven and this might be hell, sang the eagles. Some people read the descriptions in the Bible of what hell is like. Of course, the great Dante filled in a lot of details for us too and think to themselves, hmm, everything I read there reminds me of what I'm living through right now, here. This is hell, but surely heaven will be wonderful. It's an easy sell to martyrdom then, if you think this way. We mainly have then two conflicting views. One, you get punished and stay punished for eternity. Or two, there's a recycling process where you get fixed and sent back for another go. I remember reading about a Qigong teacher, John Chan's master, telling all the students about the afterlife. It was a journey through clouds. Some people baffled, scared and lost. Others guided and happy. I've read many near-death experiences where people are met 
by significant others and chatted to about their next choices. I know people who have met angels and have seen ghosts. I've read many accounts of people who have been regressed to their death experience and many whom tell of travelling a great rainbow of light to a family pod of souls in groups like Grapevine before eventually coming back again. The versions of the story are as numerous as the shells on a beach or clouds in a sky. But why is that the case? Why haven't we zoned in on one particular idea? Well, I suppose the first reason might be, have you ever seen the United Nations trying to agree on anything? God, we love to stick to our own patterns. But seriously, why? I personally believe this is a universe of free will. We tend to see death as the end. I think that as a slice of the perfect universal awareness, playing a human in this grand production called life, that I'm allowed to do or believe anything I like. If I want to believe the moon's made of cheese, you can't stop me. But we've put a man on the moon, you say. Maybe I'll say, but did we? And anyway, I bet he came home with cheesy feet. Why should my free will to believe what I want to end with my death? If, like in quantum physics, like a particle, I can dissolve back into a wave, I can surely reform to be a particle once more. If my slice of awareness allows me to dissolve into whatever form of hell or heaven I want, it'll surely allow me to come back to life as whatever I want too. If you're a fervent believer that you'll spend months in purgatory, so it'll be. If you expect hell, then that's what you'll get. If you want the rather sterile Christian experience of heaven, sure, help yourself. The states of the universe are being and non-being. Everything moves from one to the other and back. Why not you? All there actually is, is awareness. Awareness experiencing its two-dimensional self in a three-dimensional game. Just because some unrealised guy tells you that death is the end, you don't have to believe that. If you're convinced that you'll come back to this life as a frog, I'm guessing you'll get a spell of that with no bother at all. I would suggest, however, that maybe you should live a happy and positive life every day. Push worrying to one side. Smile when you can. Search for the silver linings. Be helpful and be kind. Most of all, I suggest you align yourself as carefully as you can with nature. Flow with the river. And whatever awareness has waiting for you next will arrive in an orderly fashion. Be it in this life or the next, or back here again. See you on the beach.